Not to seek comfort with all our hearts. Not to seek encouragement with all your hearts. Not to seek perfection with all your hearts. No, it's to seek God with all your hearts. Remember the title of the sermon today is Seek God with all your hearts. I said seek God with all your hearts. You know, what, what, it, what does it truly mean to give your whole heart? It means to, that to give all your heart means to do something without reward. You already know what it says in Psalm 109. Let's turn on there. Let's turn there. Psalm 119. Let's bring it back to the basics. There's no school at the old school, amen? Psalm 119. A scripture we barely read. Psalm 119. It says this in verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to their feelings. No, it says who walk according to the law of the Lord. It says blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And the church says, no, we understand from the scripture that the word blessed in the Hebrew means assure. Which means superlatively happy. It's the highest form of happiness. Which means your happiness is not tied to circumstance. It's a byproduct of seeking God. Happiness is not rooted in the circumstance. But in the fact that we seek God. That we get to seek God. We get to read our Bible. We get to have a relationship with God. That it's an honor and privilege to seek God with all our hearts. You know, God never fails. God never makes mistakes. I want to tell you the truth today. You are not a mistake. No, I said you are not a mistake. Now say it with conviction. You are not a mistake. Where you are right now in life is not a mistake. Where you are right now is not a mistake. Because when you seek God with all your heart, you are blessed. Which means when you seek God with all your heart, you know your circumstance is from God. Because you saw God with all your heart. Even with Stephanie Thompson, when she had, you know, the burpee, you know, falling off her shoe right there. Amen. We all get those moments in our life. Amen. But when you seek God with all your heart, you will be happy. It's a byproduct of seeking God with all your heart. You will be happy. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Imagine your guaranteed happiness. Happiness, not based on circumstance. You will be joyful. You're no longer affected by your past. You're not affected at the moment, in your very present moment. You're not affected whether or not in the moment you don't feel loved. Because all our needs are met when we seek God with all our hearts. Amen. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel 16. I want to persuade something of you this morning. It's all about our hearts. It's all about our hearts. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says this, before we read actually. You know, I want to first of all lift up the church for giving all their hearts yesterday for an incredible day of mercy. You know, it takes a lot of your hearts to give to kids. Because what was our theme this year as a movement? Empowering children through play. Empowering children through play. It's kind of crazy to think that all of us were like very small at one point. In Even for me, I think back to those days in primary school where I had that bowl haircut. I had that nose that looked like this. And my teeth were spreading the gap. Mind the gap. And I was a goody two-shoes. I was standing like this with my parents, like this. With my bowl haircut. But I'll be honest. Yesterday, I learned a lot about children. They give all their hearts. You know, I was in charge of the, the, the magic uh, section yesterday. And no, it's not witchcraft. So I was in charge of the magic. And for some reason, I lost some of my equipment. 
But then the kids were like, no, it's okay. We'll help you. And they're like, yeah, we'll help him, right? And they got one, two, three. There were six of them. They had the band, just, just, just a band of kids. It's like, yeah, we'll help you find your equipment. We'll give you all of our hearts. We barely know who you are, but we'll give you all of our hearts. Wow. They gave all their hearts to find it. And we found all of the equipment by the end of the day, man. Even last week, you know, myself and my awesome fiance, Nevada, amen. Soon to be wife. And a couple of other disciples. We went to uh, rollerblading, roller skating. It was fire. But one thing that struck me with the kids, they didn't care. They fell hard. Then they say, oh, oh. They didn't do that. They just got up and they went again. And here's me just like, <laughs> hey, try my heart not to fall. But then you see Levada in the middle, like. But the funny thing is, Levada gave all of his heart right there. And then by the end, he actually learned how to skate right there. With the help of Stephanie Thompson, amen. But it reminded me of the time when God gave all of his heart to me. On the cross. Even back in 2018, relentlessly chasing after me, using our, my father in the faith, our father in the faith, Frank Simulani, relentlessly following up with me. You already know what he said. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Hey, buddy. Hey, man, I'm, I'm a brother now, amen. But he was relentlessly chasing me. He gave all of his heart. All of his heart. I remember he told me the story. He was like, I'm not leaving London until I baptize one soul. Before I go. And I was that soul. And then he left at the Philippine, like the, 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 the Philip and the eunuch right there. He, he went to Birmingham, amen. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with the pain, so I literally followed him to Birmingham. So I wouldn't be surprised if, okay, God sends me somewhere else, but amen. But it's all about the heart. You know, the medical field believes that the mind controls the body. That if you can free your mind, the body will follow. However, new research suggests, or has shown rather, the heart actually sends more information to the mind than the mind does to the heart. Wow. You have over 40,000 sensor neurons communicating information from the heart to the mind. Wow. And even the Bible believes it. But the Bible even states it. The Bible believes it's the heart above the mind. How do we know this? There's 725 passages about the heart in the Bible. Wow. And only 163 passages about the mind. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. First Samuel 16 verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. This sounds like those people's preferences right there. It says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart and the church says. You know what's powerful about the scripture? Is that the scripture says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. Which means the things that you personally value, he doesn't look at that. He does not care. He does not look at it. Because this, this was powerful. God sees everything. He sees everything. But he decides not to look at it. And looks at your heart only. Because the scripture says people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. He only looks at the heart. You know, what would God say about your heart? If he just looked at your heart. Because I tell you the truth. Life starts from the heart. No, I mean, literally, it starts from, it starts from the heart. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, in the message version. Keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. You know, keeping our heart, as it says in the scripture, it says keep vigilant. Vigilant, rather, watch over your heart. To keep 
Our heart means to have a heart worth keeping. That's what it truly means. Because the meaning when it says guard your hearts, it actually means keep in the Hebrew. So it says have a heart worth keeping. One worth guarding. To keep it from being defiled. Because anything that poisons the mind and the heart, that's called impurity. Unforgiveness is impurity. Because these things can poison the mind and the heart. Bitterness is impurity. Why? Because it can poison your mind and your heart. Why? Because it puts a filter on our lives. It makes us view every situation the same. Because we haven't let go of what of which was in the past. Come on, come on, bro. This is good. When we don't guard our hearts, it makes us victims rather than victors. When we don't keep our what when we don't keep a guarded heart, we're held captive by our thoughts rather than taking them captive. Even allowing our past failures to determine whether we have future success or not. Why is having a pure heart so important? Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to commend you guys for for standing in the heat right here. It's quite challenging. But it's a very simple lesson. To seek God with all your heart, amen. Amen. Seek God, not circumstance, amen. Amen. Not the sun, amen. Not the heat, amen. You guys are strong, amen. I love you guys. Matthew 5 verse 8. Let's see what it says. It says, blessed. Are the pure in heart. For they will see God. So if your heart is defiled. If it is full of impurity. If you haven't met God in your heart. You won't see God. You won't see God. Life looks different for those who are pure in heart. They see God in everything. They see God in everything. Those who aren't pure in heart probably see people in everything. It's the person's fault. It's the the people, the authority figures in my life. But when you're pure in heart, you see God in everything. Even for me, I'm I'm like, man, am I I pure in heart? The Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things. I don't even know. We'll get into that in a second. But the point is, is for me, I'm like, man, I, I, I love the NBA. So every time I watch, you know, my, the Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat, amen, my Boston Celtics lost. Amen. But then I kept asking myself, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I know God is watching me watch that match. So he knows I can learn something from the Boston Celtics. He knows I can learn something from Miami Heat, for those who are basketball fans, amen. amen. So even those who watched the match yesterday, you know, with Man City winning, you know, God's hands in everything, amen. For the pure in heart, they will see God. Amen. amen. They get, they, what happens when you're pure in heart? You see God in your past. You see God's hand in your suffering. You see God's hand in every tear that you shed. You see God's hand in the discipline he gave you. Yet, as mentioned earlier, the heart is the, like, the craziest thing is that the heart is something we cannot understand. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. Come on. We have a Bible study today. Yes, Jeremiah 17. Seek God with all your heart. Jeremiah 17. It says in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who draws strength from mere flesh. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. What does the scripture highlight? This is a biblical scripture highlighting follow your heart. You know that term in the world, just follow your heart. This scripture is literally saying it in in biblical terms. It says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. Who draws strength from mere flesh. And whose hearts turn away from the Lord. So the scripture is saying, hey, just follow your heart. It says, cursed are those who say, follow their heart. Mm. What does it mean to follow your heart? Mm. It is to obey our sympathetic or compassionate inclinations. In simple terms, 
to act according to our feelings. So if you're going by your feelings, you're like, I'm just following my heart. I'm just going by my heart. But the scripture states that those who, 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 trust, in their, who trust in themselves, or rather, who trust in their flesh, turns their heart away from the Lord. The scripture basically states that we cannot trust ourselves because we're cursed. Because putting trust in ourselves goes hand in hand with turning our hearts away from God. Because scripture says, cursed are those who put trust in their mere flesh. So you're deciding to turn away from God. When you, just, when you decide not to trust God, you're, you automatically stop seeking God with all your heart. Mm. Come on. That when we don't seek God with all of our heart, it's the hardest thing to trust. So if you say, I have trust issues, it's because you don't seek God with all your heart. Mm. You've decided to trust in your mere flesh. And therefore, you've decided to turn your heart away from the Lord. It goes in hand in hand. What does the Bible describe that person to be in verse 6? That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. I hope that's not how you're feeling right now because it's very hot right here. But this is what's powerful. It says, they will not see prosperity when it comes. So what does that mean? They have nothing to be happy about. Even if they have their next meal. Like, oh. Like, oh, I have to wake up again. Oh, it's Monday. Oh, it's work again. Oh, I've got to work tomorrow at 9 a.m. Oh, I've got to do coursework. Oh, I have to actually go to uni. Oh, oh I have to come to the meetings of the body. Oh, I have to smile. Oh, I have to rejoice. You know what the world calls that? Depression. The scripture literally states, because behind everything, there's a spiritual element. The scripture says they haven't, it literally says they, will see, they won't even see prosperity when it comes. So when success actually comes, they won't even see the success. Yeah. Everything's just sadness. Wow. Preach. They suck the life out of the success. Oh. Everything to them looks like defeat, wow. even in the midst of success. Wow. That no fruit is more important than the fact you're in a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God. You're already successful. You're in a relationship with God. If you are not joyful that the fact you're in a relationship with God, your heart's just turned away from the Lord. You don't seek God for your heart. We think seek God for your heart is just reading the Bible and praying. No, it's not. It's not. It's trust. You know what faith means in the Greek? Trust. You know what trust also means in the Greek? Confidence. So if you have no trust, no faith, you're always, mm. yeah. no confidence, no confidence. Because what does Hebrews 11 verse 1 says? Faith is confidence. Yeah. So which means if you have no confidence, you have no faith. Yeah. Which means you haven't so called for your heart. Because where does faith come from? The Bible. Yeah. Come on, The Bible says in 1 Timothy that we don't have a spirit of timidity. Right. God doesn't give us that. Exactly. It reminds me of the scripture in Acts 19 which says, what, 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 what spirit did you receive? What spirit did you receive at baptism? Why are you lacking joy? I thought the fruit of the spirit is joy. What else does it mention in verse 6? They will dwell in parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. So what does that mean? People who trust in their own flesh, they love isolation. Because the scripture says they will dwell in parched places of the desert. Desert, there's nothing. In In the salt land where no one lives. You always want to be alone. You want to spend alone time. You do realize in the Bible, there's only, Jesus only spent alone time with God. Yeah. In prayer. Yeah. He never had alone time. <laughs> Having alone time on your own is not biblical. Because <laughs> Jesus withdrew to be alone to pray. Yeah. Not to spend alone time. Yeah. In this scripture, Jeremiah describes a weak, dry bush in the wastelands. Desert in other translations. Wow. About to die from drought. Basically, a bush in the wasteland. That's someone who doesn't trust in God. What does that look like as a disciple? It's dry and empty in their quiet times. They say, they say these things. I didn't have a good quiet time. You know, there's no such thing as a bad quiet time. It's just not a quiet time. Because the Bible is a deep river of inspiration. God wrote the Bible. You're saying, I'm not inspired by God. It's dry and empty in their evangelism. It's dry and empty in their follow-up. It's dry and empty in their convictions. 
I'm like, man, I was tested this week. I was like, man, this is me. I'm entrusting in mere flesh. So this lesson is for me. To seek God with all my heart. And so there is a hope. Because, you know, amen, hope. But in verse 7, there is a hope. It literally says it. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Whose confidence is in Him. There will be like a tree planted by the water. That sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. So when there's pressure, it doesn't fear. Its leaves are always green. They always have something to be joyful about. It has no worries. I was convicted. I was like, man, it has no worries. In a year of droughts. That means you don't worry when there's no, nothing happening in your life. Come on. Preach. Preach. And this is it never fails to bear fruit. So when we trust God, we'll be blessed, not stressed. Because I know for me, I've been stressed out, man. I've been stressed out. This has been me. You know, one question I've been asked a lot recently is, am I happy? Always the question, bro, are you happy? No, bro, are, are you happy? And recently allowing myself to look stressed. Allowing the worries of the circumstances to to dictate my mood. Exposing my lack in trust in God. Lacking trust that he's fully aware of my situation. And that he allowed my situation to happen. That the circumstances expose that I don't trust him. That I don't seek him with all my heart. That's what he's exposing me. But this scripture highlights that when we decide to trust him, we will be blessed. We will be happy. All we need to do is just trust God in everything. So it's a good question to ask you guys this morning. Are you happy? No, no, no. Genuinely happy. Genuinely. Don't deceive yourself. Genuinely happy. If not, ask yourself the question. Are you seeking God with all your heart? Because the Bible says, blessed are those. That is a byproduct. You will be happy. The scripture says it has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Which means if you have no sign of growth in a year, not in a dating relationship, not fruitful, things not going your way, the scripture states that when you trust God, you'll have no worries about it. Even in a year of drought. Year of drought doesn't just mean fruit, as in baptism. It means fruit and personal development. Stuck with the same job in a year. Stuck in the same sin in a year. But the Bible says, don't worry. When you trust God, you won't have any worries. You won't be concerned that, man, I haven't grown in a year. You just trust God that there will be growth. But you always be, because the Bible says, but you won't be, oh, I haven't grown. You won't, because the Bible says your leaves will always be green. So you're still happy. You're still happy. Because your joy is rooted in God. Man, I haven't been baptized yet. Your joy is not even rooted in that. Even if you show no growth in Bible studies. For those studying the Bible. Your joy is rooted in God. And it just shows that you're not yet seeking God for your heart yet. There will be fruit. There will be soul saved. But only to the one who is focused on seeking God with all their heart. Seek God with all your heart. And to seek God with all your heart requires persistent prayers. And that's our first point. Persistent prayers. Turn your Bibles to Luke 18. Luke 18. Persistent prayers. You know, we've been studying out the book of Luke for a while. Some of you guys have already fallen away from that challenge. Clearly. There's a lot in there. Luke 18. You know, before we read, one quote says this. A river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. Let me read that again. A river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. Again, reminds me of the time when Frank persisted after me. Because of his persistency, the river, the living water, cut through my hard heart. Cut the stones of my heart because of his persistency and follow-up. And now I'm here today. You know, the woman of Canaan kept praying, though she was first denied in Matthew 15. Jacob refused to let go, even when his leg was crippled in Genesis 32. Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or else I'll die in Genesis 30. They were persistent. What does it mean to be persistent? 
continuing firmly or obstinately in an opinion or course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Mm. Simply put, you never give up. You know, discipleship, ne- discipleship is a marathon, not a sprint. So if you're burning out, slow down. Discipleship is a marathon, not a sprint. God can work with a failure, but he cannot work with a quitter. You don't want to burn out too quickly. Some people become disciples in, in a few weeks and then fall away because they were running too quickly. Sometimes we've got to slow down. <clears throat> Slow down. Slow down. Because it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, Michael Jordan, an American professional basketball player, widely considered to be one of the greatest all-around players of all time in history, missed more than 9,000 shots in his career, lost almost 300 games, 26 times he had been trusted with the game-winning shot and missed. He failed over and over again in his life, and that's why he succeeded. Why? Persistency. Persistency. To seek God with all your heart is to be persistent. Luke 18, verse 1. Come on. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In other translations, not lose heart. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. You know, that's a scary place to be. To not fear God. That's a scary place to be. To not fear God. It's not a good place to not be in fear of God. Why? Because the Bible says in Luke 12 verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed. Has the authority to throw your body into hell. Yes I tell you. Fear him. That's what Luke 12 verse 5 says. You got to fear the one who has authority. To throw your body into hell. So it's a scary place to be if you do not fear God. Fear of God should be your motivation. Mm-hmm. Fear of God can stop you from sinning. How do we know this? Exodus 20 verse 20. Yeah. The fear of God stops you from sinning. So if you keep on sinning, you don't have the fear of God. Amen. Verse 3. And there was a widow, desperate widow in other translations, in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God, okay, what people think. Yeah, because this widow keeps bothering me. I will see that, get, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Verse six, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him all day and all night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that, great, that, that, that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, Will he find faith on earth? The AMP version convicts me. Will he find this kind of persistent faith on earth? And the church says, you know, here we see Jesus telling his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. And he illustrates a story, a parable of the persistent widow and an ungodly judge. Where because the widow's persistence and desperation... But because she's so desperate, in the end, he granted her request. She wouldn't stop. She was persistent. Her persistency produced consistency. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers or our prayers immediately to help us have consistent prayers. So that we keep seeking God with all our heart, not our desires. Otherwise, we wouldn't see our need to pray. Right. It is a way that God builds into us a heart that cares about the things we pray for the way or for the same way he does. Come on. That's good. If he were to give things to us on command, we wouldn't value it as much yes. unless we persisted for it. Yes. And God is not reluctant to answer prayers. Him not answering prayers should be our encouragement to pray. He's like, man, I haven't, pr- I haven't had this prayer answered. Okay, I've got to go pray again. Man, I still haven't been in a dating relationship. I've got to go pray again. Man, I still haven't been fruitful. Man, I've got to go pray again. So when God hasn't answered prayers, it's a signal for you to go pray again. Reminds me of a time when I persisted in prayer to move to Birmingham. 
I valued this prayer. Why? Because I prayed to move to Birmingham for six months. For six months. Reminds me of a time when I persisted in prayer for my sister to become a disciple. I persisted for three months and now she's saved. I prayed for her persistently. You do realize that some of our families are still lost. But we can find ourselves forgetting to pray for them. I prayed for my sister persistently. I prayed for high paying jobs in London when I was in London. And God landed me Harrods. A very good job. They were going to send me to New York and make me a manager. I prayed persistently for my degree. And what ended up happening? I ended up with a first. I prayed persistently for many of those studying the Bible. And even when it came to dating novella, I prayed persistently if it was God's will. And there we are. We're about to get married in August. But this is the thing. What made me persist? I would still pray for it, even if it wasn't getting answered. That's what persistency is. Now, the scripture doesn't say always pray for desires. It says always pray. Even if our prayers aren't answered, we should always pray and never give up. That even if our circumstances never change, we should always pray and never give up. You know, there are two versions of us. A version of us before we've prayed and a version of us after we've prayed. Because you know that period when you wake up and we haven't prayed yet? You know, you just sit in your bed, you're like, oh man, I don't want to get up. That's the unspiritual version of yourself. There's that phase, you know, you know, there's a phrase, you're not you when you're hungry. Well, this scripture basically says, you're not you when you don't pray. One large population study led by Harvard professor Tyler Vanderweel found that young adults who prayed daily tended to have fewer depressive symptoms and higher levels of satisfaction, self-esteem and positive effect in comparison to those who never prayed. Persistent prayer can stop you from being depressed. Persistent prayer isn't just limited to the morning. That's what's called persistency. Why? Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 in the NLT version, never stop praying. You know, Jesus prayed all the time. He even prayed publicly on the cross. He said, Lord, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed publicly on the cross naked. Wow. He was unashamed of prayer. Wow. So if Jesus bearing his cross can pray publicly naked just to see you saved, how far should our prayers go? Are we, are we one of those where we pray and someone walks by? Father, I just want to find Glory, glory. Sin silent. And again, as highlighted earlier, even before the cross, the only time Jesus withdrew himself from people was to pray. The only way he could handle the cross was prayer. You know, prayer is so powerful that it helped stop a suicide. Jesus' suicide in the Garden of Gethsemane. If prayer doesn't work, prayer stops a suicide of the Son of God. He prayed three times. What does that highlight? He was persistent in prayer. Persistent prayer stops us from temptation. Persistent prayer stops us from giving up. Persistent prayer changes our perspective and our focus. It shifts our focus to help us see that there is nothing that happens to us. But everything happens for us. Prayer is a lifestyle. That's why we call it prayer life. But with our life, there's also health. How is the health of your prayer life? Because your prayer life can determine the health of your relationship with God. We live in a time of unhealthy relationships. What's an unhealthy relationship? An unhealthy relationship is marred by a need to control one or the other. Where we love one another unconditionally based on conditions. No, that you love me with all your heart. But just don't speak to that person. That doesn't make any sense. Not as in like adultery, but as in like just talking to the person. Just a normal conversation. 
At work? Oh, you sleep with your coworker. And I'm just going to work. That's unhealthy relationships. You see what God saved you from? Yeah. Unhealthy relationships. Because prayer isn't there to tell you, to tell God what to do. It's to submit yourself to God's will. Yet the scripture states why we don't pray. Why? Because we give up. We lose heart. We stop seeking God with all of our hearts and seek a certain circumstance with all of our hearts. We can't want the, but the perfect circumstances. You, you do realize that, right? Mm. But the thing is that people still want the perfect circumstances. Yeah. Yes. You know, I watched Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse the other day. Come on. Miles Morales. You know, I don't want to give too many, way, many spoilers for those who haven't watched it. But I want to give a, 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 a brief gist. The gist was that he had a written future for, for himself. And it was supposed to happen. Yeah, he wanted to change the circumstances of his universe. He wanted to be in control. He didn't want to submit. He lost heart. You know, we have to remember that even Adam and Eve had the perfect circumstances. And still weren't satisfied. So you can have the perfect circumstances in your entire life and still not be satisfied. If God can make the perfect circumstances for Adam and Eve and they're still not happy... How much more so today? Persistent prayer isn't there to change our circumstances. It's there to change our perspective on the circumstance. We've also got to have persistent praise for one another. Why? Because in Colossians 4 verse 12, Paul praises a man named Epaphras because he always prayed, like he was always prayed, he always labored in prayer. Fervently. Fervently. He worked in prayer. Imagine praying so hard that it feels like work. Like a nine to five shift. That's how hard Epaphras prayed. How do we know this? Epaphras is, is what I'm going to say in, in, in Colossians 4 verse 12. Let's, let's, let's go look. Colossians 4 verse 12. I know you guys are brave in the heat. Don't worry, it's a short summit for today. I've got you guys. It's very challenging being in the heat, but I, pre- I appreciate you guys braving it right there. Your happiness is all based on circumstances, based in God, amen? Man. You guys are strong right there. Challenging. Hope your emotions and your, your, you know, you know, your mind are not controlled by the sun, but controlled by the son of God, amen? It's yeah. so not stealing your joy, amen? No. God made your body so you know you can stand with, stand the heat. First Corinthians 10, 13, you know you can handle this, amen? Colossians 4 verse 12 says this. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling. In prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And the church says, Amen. What does the scripture state? Is that Epaphras prayed for the disciples, not against them. Wow. So, what does this highlight? We can either find ourselves being for one another or against one another. Is that something we're known for? Being known to be against one another or for one another. Are we known as wrestling for prayer? Or for, like, are we, are we known for wrestling in prayer for one another? Wow. Wow. That we wrestle for one another in prayer. You know, imagine a church that wrestles for one another in prayer. Come on. Wrestling in prayer for one another's success. Yes. Wrestling in prayer for one another's growth. Wrestling in prayer for one another's overcoming. Wrestling in prayer for one, for one another's fruitfulness. Because when we wrestle for one another, we won't be wrestling one another. Let me say that again for those in the back. Because when we wrestle for one another, if you guys didn't hear, we won't be wrestling one another. Jesus wrestled in prayer with fervent cries and tears according to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 so that we could be saved. He wrestled in prayer for us. In Romans 8, the Bible says, Christ, Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus prays for you. You know that feeling when someone says, I prayed for you, bro. I prayed for you, sis. But imagine, Jesus said that to you. I prayed for you to be at church today. 
I prayed for you to survive that challenge in your life. That's Jesus praying for you. Imagine Jesus praying for you, but then you're, you're not living up to the prayer that, you, that, that he prayed for you. So what's the challenge? Let's be having persistent prayers. Let's be resting for one another. Let's be resting in prayer for our 30 baptisms by the end of the year. I'm a bit more round of applause on that. Let's be wrestling in our prayers for the 30 baptisms by the end of the year. The challenge is simple. Prayer needs to be a first resource, not a last resort. Because the seek goal of all our heart, we've got to be persistent in our prayers. We've got to have persistent prayers. Amen. Amen. Point number two, to seek goal of all our heart, we've got to be childlike, not childish. Luke 18. Luke 18. It says this in verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Imagine trying to rebuke the parents trying to bring children to Jesus. But Jesus called the children and said to them, just said to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And the church says, Amen. you know, in order to see God of all of our heart, we've got to be childlike. Yeah. In this scripture, we see Jesus explaining that children are the model citizens of the kingdom of God. There we say children are model Christians. They're model Christians. No, they're model Christians. Children are model Christians. Why? Because they trust and love so easily. Some very easily. They're so much easier to be friends with. Literally. Literally, I was like, man, I've only known you for five minutes. They're like, come play with me, come go. I'm like, wow. These guys trust so easily. And the Bible says that as disciples, we've got to be like children. They don't look at status. They don't look like, oh, you're my leader. No, they're just like, you're my friend. They don't look at age. They don't look at status. They don't look at position. And even the other way around, they don't even get their value from their status. I'm just a child. They don't even get that. They're secure. Imagine. Children aren't... They're just like, oh, I don't care. They don't try to earn their way into the kingdom of God. They don't try to make themselves worthy of it. They forgive quick. They believe in Matthew 18. Imagine. Children. Believing in Matthew 18. Sometimes even more than disciples. Because once they... Because you've seen kids. Once they apologize, I'm sorry, they shake hands or they hug. And in the next moment, they forget it even happened. And they're like, they go off, let's go play. They literally have no record of wrongs. They forgive so quick. Yeah. They didn't say, oh, you know. Imagine a little kid saying, yeah, you don't know how bad I had it. <laughs> Imagine Anthony when he's five years old. Say to another one-year-old, oh, you don't know how bad I had it. <laughs> you don't know how bad I had it. You can't relate to me. Imagine Anthony saying that. Imagine. But we can't. He's just like. Five <laughs> He's like that the whole day. He does not care. Some moments he's like, ah! And then he comes back. He's like... He believes in Matthew 18. He believes in not seeking circumstance. Now he goes to his authority figure, the father. Obviously, Claire, obviously. Amen. But authority figure, amen. Authority, authority figure, amen. But that's like calling, oh God, come. Doesn't run to people. Doesn't want to go to other gods or other, other, other authority. Oh, yeah. oh. They believe in one authority. Come on. Come for us. He knows the voice. He's literally fine. He knows. He's, he's like, he has like some sense. He's like, I know where to go. Where, where's Tato? Where's Tato? Oh, she's there. Huh? She, he, she, he knows. He knows. They don't hold a record wrong. You know, kids are actually so bad at lying to. They can't lie. So even kids, they're so bad at life. 
You know how they, oh, it, was, it was the ball. They do that. You know you're lying on your face. And guess what? They always have zeal. Man, I'm like, man, these kids running around. I get tired so easy. One of them called me old man. I was, like, I was like, wait, just wait, just wait. He was like, no, old oh, man. I'm like, come on, man. So some guys, you see, some of you saw me running around. I'm like, man, these kids, man. These kids, they have so much energy. But imagine, God's telling us to be like that. To be like that. All of that. And, the, and as Steph said, they're easily teachable. They're not prideful. I mean, sometimes they're prideful, but... <laughs> but in the end, they listen. And, they, and some of them, they, they believe in discipline. You know what my mum used to do when I was younger? Twist my ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She got a hanger, yeah. slapped it on my knee. Yeah. And one time, it left a hole in my knee, but amen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we're like, hey, hey, choose your weapon of choice. Who, what would you like? The stick or the belt? Or, or the slipper? <laughs> and even if I pick, they pick, one, they pick one for me anyway. So children believe in discipline. They believe in the fear of God. They're like, oh no, I I messed up. Ah." They know. They know. Man. And God is telling us to be like that. The kingdom of God is for those who have a childlike attitude. They didn't need intellect or an understanding or evidence to prove why they should do it. All they have is simple faith. To seek out of all our heart, we need to have simple faith. Just read our Bible and pray in the morning. Simple. Simple. This is such a contrast to the skeptical, critical religious leaders whose pride and intellect got in the way. Jesus just wants his people to enjoy being with him. It's a relationship. The fact we get to be with him, that should just make us happy anyway. That's what seeking God is. You know, age doesn't determine attitude. Let me say that again. Age doesn't determine attitude. Some can be physically or spiritually older or mature in the kingdom of God, but still have a childish attitude. But vice versa. Some can be young physically or spiritually and have a childlike attitude. What determines this? Hebrews 5. A constant use of the first principles. It says when you constantly use your first principles, then you're mature in the faith. You're able to distinguish good from evil. So being childish is a sign to go back to the first principles. So if you're still immature or you're still struggling with certain principles, it's a sign to go back to seeking God with all of your heart. You know, sometimes as disciples, we can think we've arrived. We've mastered seeking God. But if you don't constantly use the first principles, something like making disciples will be a hard teaching. Oh, the church is all about making disciples. Oh, why are we just told to share our faith? Come on. Oh, why are we always told to evangelize? Preach. That teaching is hard for you because you don't seek God with all your heart. Preach. Something simple as just evangelism sharing your faith. Wasn't Jesus' last command to go and make disciples? Exactly. That's the church of Jesus. Yeah. If you have an issue with making disciples and working hard to make disciples, this is not the church for you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. And it also highlights that the Bible is not your standard. You know, we can't let our past disappointments or cynicism keep us from enjoying our relationship with God. In order to be childlike, we've got to depend on Him. Whether it be for guidance, all our problems and pressure we face, or just simple trust. Children do all of this with adults who love them. How much more so should believers have this attitude towards Jesus? We've got to be childlike, not childish. Throughout Jesus' ministry, He was often criticized for spending too much time with the wrong people. Children. He was criticized with children, tax collectors, and sinners. He was even criticized by disciples. Thinking that Jesus should be doing other things, such as spending way more time with other people, such as important leaders, and and the devout. So that means for people who've been around for a while. Because this was the way to improve his status within the community and avoid criticism. So even this, for example, it's like disciples have been around a long time. Spend time with me. No. Jesus spent time with people who weren't even in the kingdom. Yeah. That was his priority. Awesome. You should get, if you're seeking over your heart, you shouldn't get your needs by people. Yes. Oh, this brother doesn't spend time with me. Three. This is the, God wants to spend time with you. Yes. 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 
Because Jesus didn't need to improve his position. Neither do we. As God, he wanted to speak to those who needed him the most. The lost. We're saved as disciples. We don't need more disciples' attention. The lost need our attention. They're the lost sheep. They're the lost sheep. Childish disciples want attention all the time. Literally, childish, even childish children do that. <laughs> and then when you're there, you're like, oh. <laughs> it's not rooted in people. You should be rooted in God. Yeah. The most important time you should be spending is with Jesus. Because you need him the most. What does that look like? Protecting our mornings with God. That is the time we need the most. Do we find ourselves shortening our time with God in the morning because of activities in the day? You know, I want to lift up Albina. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fired up about it. Isn't, isn't Albina more like so radiant right now? Yeah. Serving. She feels different. Why? Because she shared, I believe it was this week. Oh, I, I just sought God. I, 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 I just sought God for two hours. Come on. Wow. Let's go. She says, yeah, I'm just happy. I just, it's the longest I've ever been. I've extended my time with God. It's just two hours. Wow. She sought God with all her parts. So challenge is simple. Protect our mornings with God. We're always mastering seeking God with all of our hearts. We've never arrived. Because that's what heaven looks like. What does heaven look like? Seeking God with all our hearts. That's literally, that's all we're doing. Holy, holy, holy. Seeking God with all of our hearts. Amen? Amen. Point number three. We'll bring it for a close here. God focused, not man focused. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, stop right there. The Mark, the Mark um, correlation, uh, the Mark account scripture, uh, of the scripture rather, is so powerful. What does it say? As Jesus started on his way to Jerusalem, a man ran. He ran. So when he saw Jesus leaving, he ran in desperation up to him and fell on his knees. He was humble before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what do we understand from that scripture? This man was literally seeking God. He was desperate. Yet he only went to Jesus. He only started seeking God when he was leaving. Sometimes it takes getting into desperate situations to get desperate about God. Sometimes it takes getting into desperate situations to seek God with all of our hearts. Desperation gets us running. But the question is, where do we run to? But we're not going to go into that point right now. Jesus, he came to Jesus with one question. And what did Jesus respond to him with? Why do you call me good in verse 19? Are you guys still with me? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So what does Jesus respond to his question? With a question. So sometimes we've got to question our questions. Why are you asking that question? So sometimes we're like, why is it so hot? Why are you asking that question? And then when it's cold, why is it so cold? Why is it always raining? You see, but why are you asking that question? But another aspect of the scripture is that he called Jesus good. He had his own stance of morality. You know, we live in a time where many believe in subjective morality. Where many define what is good and what is bad. Yet this man, he kept all the Lord's commandments. But what does, it look, what does that look like today? He looks like a disciple, sounds like a disciple, yet defining morality. So what does that highlight? Even as disciples, we can find ourselves even having subjective morality. Compromising in our faith, measuring one sin isn't as bad as another. Because what's the obvious one? Galatians 5 verse 19 to 21, we know that. Another one, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 to 5. Another one, James 4 17, we know this. But what's the one that's not, that we don't really look at? Let's go to Revelation 21. Wow. 
Just say it's short Bible study here. Revelation 21, seek God with all your heart. You guys can read it along with me, but I'm going to read from the AMP version. It says, but as for the cowards. And unbelieving. And abominable. Who are devoid of character. And personal integrity. And practice or tolerate immorality. And murderers. And sorcerers. With intoxicating drugs. And idolaters. And occultists. Who practice and teach false religions. And all the liars. Who knowingly deceive and twist truth. Their part will be in the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. And the church says. Wow. You know, this scripture is very powerful. Because what does it say in verse, in verse 8? 21 verse 8. But as for the cowards. What does it look like as a coward? As a, you know who this is speaking to? This is speaking to disciples. The book of Revelation. So it's speaking to us. It's speaking to people like the rich man. Like, yeah, you kept all the... Okay, okay, okay. But it says, but as for the cowards. He tried to define morality. Okay, let's see disciples trying to measure morality. As for the cowards. What, is, what does a coward look like as a disciple? Not getting open. Mm. Avoiding the times. Ooh. Not sharing faith. Ooh. Missing meetings of the body. Not replying to messages. That's what it looks like to be a coward. Because we're measuring our morality. Oh, that's not that bad. I'll just leave that reply till later. And this convicted me. I was like, man, okay, I need to reply. Amen, I'll be now. But this also convicted me as well. The AMP version says this. No character. No integrity. At least she says, and the abominable who are devoid of character. So basically saying, for those who don't have character and those who don't have integrity, they're, cons- they're assigned to the fiery lake. So if you lack integrity and you have no character, according to the scripture, we're assigned to the fiery lake. I'm like, what in the world? That convicted the trash out of me. So, because how do we get character? We learned last week. Suffering. suffering. So if you don't like suffering, you have no character. Which means the fiery lake is for you. Because the scripture says those who don't have character. If you're still going through the same thing. I'm suffering. Same thing. Victim mentality. Suffering. You have no character. According to the scripture. I'm like, man. I was convicted. I was like, man, if I'm still struggling with, with one thing in my life. With integrity. Just being on time for church. I'm like, oh my gosh. I could be, I just put the fear of God into me. I'm like, I cannot be late for church. I can't be late for Bible studies. I can't be late to anything. I can't have, it says personal integrity, not the church's integrity. Personal. What does it look like to have personal integrity? Sticking to your word as well. Which means sticking to your words you said on your baptism day. Jesus is Lord. Not emotions is Lord. Not criticality is Lord. Not your thoughts is Lord. Not you are Lord. You seeking God with all your heart is trying to dethrone you of your throne. When you said Jesus Lord, if you're not sticking to your word as Jesus Lord, that's scary. I got scared of the scripture. I was like, man, that put the fear of God into me. The kingdom of God is not for weak characters. If you have a weak character, you're, you're, you're not, you don't need to be in the kingdom of God. If you can't take discipling, you have a weak character. The kingdom of God is not for you according to the scripture. Because the scripture associates lack of integrity and character with sexual morality. But then we're like, oh yeah, sexual morality is not, yeah, that's bad. But me lacking integrity, that's fine, that's fine. Me not overcoming the suffering, that's fine. But we, see, we're measuring, we're like the rich man. I've kept the commandments. I'm at church, guys. Okay, but you missed that meeting, this meeting. You never, I've never seen you in a Bible, I've never, when was the last time you had a Bible study, a new Bible study? It's been a while. No integrity. Yeesh. 
And then the scripture says, and practice or tolerate immorality and murderers and sorcerers with intoxicating drugs and idolaters and occultists who practice and teach false religions. You know, there's only two types of religions. The true one and the false one. The right one and the wrong one. There's no in between. Some can say they're all the same. Nope. There are major differences. They're like, oh yeah, Islam and, and, and Christianity are similar. No, no, there are major differences. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, to us a son is born and we call him mighty God. In the Old Testament, that you believe. Even in the first five words of, of the Bible, Barashit, literally means the son of man will be crucified by the hands of man on the cross. That's even before Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Dare we say compromising in our faith is adding to our personal version of Christianity. It's creating a denomination. We can find ourselves defining what good and bad is as a disciple. You know, do we have a biblical view of our sin? Do you have a biblical view of complacency? Of criticism? You do realize in the Bible, criticism stopped the whole movement. So if, if there's criticality, there's a reason why we have no baptisms. Maybe there's some sin hidden, hidden sin in your life. Maybe you're not seeking God with your heart. Maybe you're too man-focused, not God-focused. And that's the point number three. Remember, God-focused, not man-focused. Do we have a biblical view of gossip and slander? You know the meaning of slander in the Greek? It means diablos, which means devil. You know actually what it actually means? It means by... It means... By opposing the cause of God, may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him. Mm. So to gossip and slander is to choose to side with Satan. Wow. We literally sing, whose side are you fighting on? If you're gossiping, you're singing, I'm, I'm fighting on Satan's side. Wow. You become a bilingual disciple. Oh. You speak two languages fluently. Whoa. You try to speak the language of God, but then you speak deceit. The language of Satan. Lion. When Matthew 12 verse 36 says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. In other translations, it says careless or useless words they speak. Is your gossip useful? Is everything we say useful? Is everything we say edifying? Let's go back to Luke 18. Luke 18. Again, bring it for a close. Just a few scriptures here. Verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other translations, what good thing must I do? You know, good deeds or good moral life won't save you. He says, what good thing should I do? It's not about what you do. Right? The scripture highlights that, like all people by nature, have an orientation towards earning eternal life by doing good deeds. You do realize that, yeah, exactly. That's is exactly what Islam believes. If I just do good enough good deeds, I'll go to heaven. Come on, if I just do enough good deeds as a disciple, more than my bad deeds as a disciple, then I'll go to heaven. Right. Verse 20. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy. He said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. So everything you have is give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And the church says, Amen. you know what's powerful about the scripture? I've read the scripture for ages and I didn't see this one, one, one word in the scripture. It literally says that Jesus asked him about the specific commandments. How many commandments did he mention? Adultery, right? Murder, steal, testimony, and honor. That's five out of ten. So what is highlight? These specific commands, they're all relevant to people. Murder, stealing, false testimony against people, honoring father and mother. They're all for people. But none of them are to do with the commandments of God. What's the other five commandments? You should have no other gods before me. You should not make idols. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Right? You should not cover. Those are the five to do with God. Because what does the scripture say? It says in response, the young man claimed all these. So only those five commandments he kept. Wow. Since I was a boy. So it's fair to ask if this man really had kept these commandments. All of them. You know, I mean, he kept the five, but not, maybe not the ten. Because just these. He'd say, wait, wait, wait. He didn't say to Jesus, wait, 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 wait. I kept the others. No, he said all of these. The, just these. Mm. It is likely he did actually keep them in the way that made him righteous in the eyes of man. Oh, preach. Nice. He was people focused. Wow. Not... God focused. He may have had everything. 
It may have looked like he had his life put together in the eyes of man, but not in the eyes of God. He really had nothing. You know, may have, you know, you know this is the thing because what Jesus, what Jesus was basically calling to do, he's like, here, here, go sell everything. This is Luke 18's version of give up everything. He's like, okay, because as disciples, we're like, yeah, I agree with this commandment. I agree with, I, yeah, okay, I agree to read my Bible, to share my faith. Okay, are you ready to die single? Are you still ready to move country? Even a country that you don't decide, even if it's not even your nationality? Are you, are you good to marry outside of your culture? Are you ready to deal with your suffering? Are you ready to deal with your suffering? Isn't that what sell everything, give up everything means? Because then what did he say? He says, then come follow me. Just like all the other scriptures in Luke when he says, give up everything, then come follow me. Yes. So this is him making him into a disciple. Come on. And you could tell he was seeking God, but not with all of his heart. Why? Because he left. How did he feel? Sad. Unchanged as if he never sought God at all. His life remained exactly the same. That's what we'll be like on judgment day. We can't say to God, I tried to seek God with all my heart. I tried, God. It's either you're all in or all out. It's either you're God-focused or people-focused. Jesus was calling him to be people-focused. I mean, to be God-focused, rather. He was calling him back to the standard to give up everything. That's why he said, then come follow me. Mm. In order to seek God with all our heart, we've got to be God-focused. Not people-focused. Not people-focused. In closing... The Bible says in Psalm 73. Last two. You guys are doing great in the heat right there. Hey man, maybe it's just short what to pray right there. Psalm 73. It says in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So God is good to those who are pure in heart. You got to ask yourself the question, do you have a pure heart today? If you feel like, man, that hit me. Yeah, then maybe you have some impurity in your heart. But the good news is, God can give you a new heart. And this is the last scripture, Ezekiel chapter uh, 36. Ezekiel 36. It says in verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I remove your heart. Or remove you from your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. God said he will give us a new heart. Which means he can. From stone to flesh. God can give you a pure heart today. And the Bible says God is good to those who have a pure heart. We, got to be right, we want to be right in the eyes of God. We want to be right with Him by seeking God with all of our heart. We've got, maybe we've got to, be, we've got to say, say those persistent prayers. Saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation, God. Remember my, remember, help me remember the day I was saved. Maybe you've got to pray those persistent prayers. Maybe you've got to be childlike, not childish. And maybe you've got to be God-focused, not people-focused, in order to seek God with all your heart. I love you, and to God be all the glory. Oh.